0: This morning's passage is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 10-17. to This is our fourth sermon. Doug puts the number of sermon in the worship guide so you now know we are at number four. Um, which means we've spent three sermons building up to the conflict. And here's the conflict. So if you want conflict, you'll enjoy this morning's text. Um, but either way, you should enjoy it. So, Listen for the conflict. Listen to what's going on because this theme will actually run through the next several chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians. So I'll read to you and you'll follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10-17. to I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. It's awesome. Can you imagine if I ever said that, people would leave the church. You don't remember? But I'm not Paul. Verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, God, You are so glorious and You've sent us Your Word. And as Brent prayed earlier, Your Spirit illuminates it to our minds. We pray this morning that this situation in Corinth, which just seems so long ago, would actually stir us to understand better our temptation toward disunity and our need to remember the cross daily. Holy Spirit, would You open our minds to that reality even this morning. Amen. So, um, mascots are important. Emily and I went to Edmond Memorial. I'm choosing a high school mascot this morning to avoid any conflict. Edmond Memorial. People say, where did you go to high school in Edmond? Well, there's three high schools now. There's the Huskies. I'm going to need help because I forgot. the Wolves and the Bulldogs. Am I right? Is anyone correct Well, when I went to school, there was one high school, the Bulldogs. In fact, Emily, I also went to North Mid-High, which is where the Huskies were, so it's really weird. And I remember going back to like these parades, and there came the Memorial Bulldog Parade, and we were like, yeah, that's our alma mater. And then there were these other high school mascots coming down, and other people were excited about them. And when we moved back to Edmond, uh, the school system we were in was the Memorial Bulldog, so we were kind of excited. And we went to one of the first home games. We went to the UCO Stadium, and we walked in, but we were the away team playing another Edmund team. And it was like the strangest moment, walking in to our stadium and having this feeling of like, this is where we went to all the high school football games. And all of a sudden we're being told, oh, you go to the visitor you know, section across the way. So we didn't. We sat on our side, where we always sat. Only there were all these other team fans, and we were cheering for the Bulldogs, and they were cheering for the Huskies or the... I don't even remember what other dogs it was. That's how little I care. That's a little bit of a picture of what's happening in Corinth. In other words... Edmond is one town. and Most of you may hate hate Edmond. I don't even know how Stillwater feels about Edmond. Uh, many of you are like, Ryan, you don't even understand. You don't like Edmond. Okay. So Edmond's one town. <clears throat> and growing up, we had one mascot. And it seems strange when people start gravitating toward other mascots. But what would be even stranger is if they began to do this in everyday life. Like if everywhere we went, it was sort of like, well, I'm a husky. I mean, really, we're just... we're that, that, that would be strange. And that's how Paul is responding to this controversy. That he's heard <clears throat> that there is this conflict in Corinth where his name and several other gentlemen's names are being thrown together to cause factions and divisions. And what we're going to find is that we are very prone toward divisions. We are very prone toward placing our hope in stuff, as Shane even confessed, and all of us, No, whether it's sports or other items. We gravitate toward those physical, tangible things to represent us when only Christ can truly represent us. And what this passage shows, Paul really packs a punch, is that if you and I grasp the importance of the cross, that really makes sense. Then we will be peacemakers. We will have unity in this church and in the church of Christ all all across the world. So, that's a big sermon to preach in 20 minutes. Or 30. But I will say this issue will continue through the next few chapters a little bit. So we'll kind of understand that as we go. So what we're going to look at this morning, the way I want to break it up, is just look at what unity, what he's talking about with unity. Talk about the problem, disunity. Okay, this is an easy outline. Talk about the real problem. There's a real problem that maybe we don't even know yet, I hope. And then finally, how does the cross fix it? Okay, very easy outline, I hope. As you can see, it's on yellow paper. So Paul, for the first time in this letter, is urging. He's urging the church to agree. It, it, he's urging them. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. Just to give you some background, the Corinthians had written a letter to Paul. They had some questions. And we know that because throughout First Corinthians, he's answering those questions. Matters of marriage and sexuality in matters of idolatry and can we eat food sacrificed to idols or not? These are questions in their letter to him. But in the meantime, he gets this report from Chloe's household that there are problems. And so his first thing he does is he says, I appeal to you to agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. <clears throat> when you read that at first blush, it almost sounds like he's encouraging you to be a cult. You know, just kind of walk around like, I totally agree with what the church says. Okay, does that sound like a cult to you? Um, That's not what he's saying. What, what What Paul is urging us is that when you are wrestling with theology and you're wrestling with your identity and you're wrestling with your beliefs, that Jesus Christ and His Word is what guides you. So unity is found when Jesus is at the center and not your own information, your own ideas. If you say things like, the way I view God, stop. Let's let let Scripture define how you view God, right? Or in my opinion, okay, it's okay to have your own opinion, but maybe let's humble ourselves and allow Scripture to teach us. And so unity, and we're going to pick up on unity as we go through the next several sermons, The the point Paul is making is, let your commonality be Jesus and not your own personal preferences, your own personal proclivities, your own personal things. So that's the point we're, we're launching into, but to really define that, we need to look at what was actually happening, what's actually the problem in Corinth. So he says it very clearly, Chloe's people... There's debate on who who those people are. There's debate on who Chloe is. But here's what we know for certain. Number one, Paul received a report and told them, here's my report. And number two, because there's a second letter, 2 Corinthians, they don't argue. They actually recognize, yeah, that's going on. So what's going on? Factions had developed, right? It's right there in verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. Or I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas. Or I follow Christ. Now, what, what, what's the big deal? What, what's the big deal in just saying, I follow these people? Is that by inference, the people in those factions are saying, therefore, I don't follow your person. So after Paul planted Corinth, the church in Corinth, Apollos came in, and he did a fantastic job continuing the church. And then he's moved on, and others have come in. At some point, most scholars believe Peter. Cephas is Peter. Peter came for a brief moment with his wife and moved on. Christ himself physically on earth never went into Corinth. So what you have are four people, Paul, Apollos, Peter, and Jesus, who all like each other and all agree theologically. So what is so strange is that you have these groups that are starting to say, but we follow this one and we therefore disagree with your person. Um, Listen to this quote by Luther as he kind of building on what what Paul is building on here. You'd think people would like their name to be used in Christendom, right? So when Protestantism was taking off, right, uh, the Protestant Reformation, Luther heard that there were certain people wanting to call themselves Lutherans. I think we have a few ex-Lutherans in the church, so you'll get a kick out of this. Listen to Luther's quote. What is Luther? The teaching is not mine, nor was I crucified for anyone. How did I, a poor stinking bag of maggots, that I am, he says. How did I come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name? That's humility. Paul has that same humility. Paul is saying, don't, go around saying, you follow me. Because I'm not the one you need to follow. Did I, was I uh, crucified for you? Verse 13. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So, this I, the point is, we as people are trying to gravitate toward these leaders or these factions and the leaders are saying, Paul's saying, stop. Okay? Now, I want to address something for just a second. What about that fourth one? I follow Christ. I mean, when you all read that list, did you think, well, isn't that the right one? I mean, certainly that's the one, the group you should be in, right? There's some conflict on what that means, but you have two options, and I'm going to go and point one with one option, and then later the other option, and this is a beautiful thing you can do when you preach, because we're not writing commentaries. But the point is, if there is a group of Christians who says, I follow Jesus, so I'm not going to listen to you, Paul. He's, the point would be, that's not healthy. That that may have the appearance of wisdom, I follow Christ, but if you're saying it because you don't like what Paul told you, who's called to be an apostle, then you really aren't following Christ after all. And that really is the point, that, that when you start to have division, even if you think you're doing it for your school or your uh, whatever it, it, your faith, whatever the division is, it's not good. It's not healthy because it's not Focusing on Christ. So, what's really going on then? What's the deeper issue? The Greek for these little phrases "I" is this. I, Paul. I, Apollos. I, Cephas. I, Christ. Um, they were not into theology at that moment. The Corinthian church was not going, you know what, we've examined four different Versions of Christianity, and, and this is the one I'm really gravitating toward. This is not denominationalism The background is this in Corinth Everybody I we've mentioned this before was pretty new. It's a hundred years old at the time of Paul planting the church You don't have like the Vanderbilts You know you don't have these like long lines of family. I'm a Vanderbilt. So they began to be known by their wealth and by um, the certain political parties they were involved in and also there was a very popular movement within that world of orators coming in. And these orators would come in and speak and say lofty things, and you would say, that's my guy. So there was this kind of air of following a mascot of sorts. And so what you really have is a people who are already, it's in their DNA within the city, to kind of say, I just cling to this one. Imagine, I, I do this, and I know it has to irritate you. I don't know this specific cartoon. But there was like a duck, That was came out of the wall, and all it saw was like a cat. Okay, and he goes, Mama. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like the first thing the duck saw, the little baby duckling, was this cat or some other character, maybe it was Bugs Bunny, I don't know. And so he goes, Mama. And the whole episode is the adult, non-animal, trying to get rid of the little duckling. That's the point. That's the illustration. Because that's what I see happening here. It's like Paul's like, hey, here's Jesus, and like, Mama. No 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 Jesus is who you should follow you know and they just follow blindly It's this kind of attachment that's emotional in nature It's not I really appreciate your theology brother it's uh, I just need a, I need to just cling to you And so we have Paul and we have Apollos and we have Peter and we have Jesus all perfectly per- people that, that you could follow and learn from But the issue is they've begun to attach themselves to them for their life. So here's the question then, application point, first point, as I look through my notes to find myself. Where are you attaching yourself in this world? Who are you clinging to? Now, it's very easy to say, well, like in the PCA, I like Keller. Everyone knows Tim Keller, by the way. highly advise you to listen to Tim Keller. Or, you know what, I listen to Sproul. Or I listen to... And you have your person you listen to. That's perfectly fine. Please hear me. These guys were fine. You can like Apollos. You can like Peter. Of course, he's an apostle. You can like Christ. He's the king. But the question is, where are you, are you doing that to complete yourself? Are you sort of finding... Are there things in your life you're attaching yourself to for completion? Um... My mom, I don't know if she listens to my sermons, if she does. I did not get permission for this. But one of her funny idiosyncrasies, and I've told her this, is she will not leave her home without makeup and shower. And so as our culture has kind of moved into this, like, you know, women, I hope, uh, will just wake up, throw the hat on, and go out. You know, in some ways that's the cool thing. My mom doesn't do that. Hey, mom, I'll swing by. We'll go grab a, a sandwich. Okay, I need about two hours. I mean, am I exaggerating? She needs to shower, which is slow, and and makeup, and hair, everything's perfect, to go, like, to the post office. So she's fixing herself up, right? The reality is that's an illustration. So, Mom, if you're listening, this is just an illustration. But every one of us wakes up and needs something to feel right. Would you agree? If you just slept, your hair's all messed up, your breath's bad, you're, you have sleep in your eyes. I won't go any further. And you need to do something to fix yourself up, right? That's normal. But what are you doing spiritually in that realm? What are you doing to spiritually fix yourself up or to emotionally get ready for your day? I was discussing this sermon with a friend who shall not be named. And they said, you know, we were just talking it out. And the friend said, um, sometimes I watch people walk across campus with their smartphones. And they're just looking at some sort of social media or something mindlessly. And here's the exact line. The, in order to reassemble themselves. I thought that is exactly what's going on. How do you reassemble yourself? Right? Naturally, we feel disassembled. That's what the fall created. Right? Naturally, the people in Corinth felt the need for something. Their problem was that they were attaching and reassembling themselves by clinging to some sort of a group or a faction. Our problem is we cling to maybe 50 groups. Maybe they're all on Facebook. We're gravitating towards something. You watch a game. I can't even think about what I thought about the game yesterday until I read what this blogger said. And now I'm starting to reassemble my thoughts and myself around what happened. Right? Socially, we do that. How are you doing that? How are you reassembling yourself? What are the things you're doing to feel whole again? In the 1980s, a popular term was codependency. How many of you have heard of the term codependency? All the older than 20 people have heard of codependency. But this was a big deal, and it still is, because the realization that psychologists were having is that a lot of people who maybe for whatever reason didn't feel or actually get love growing up, they... they became dependent on somebody else called codependency and and that and that codependency could be both both parties like in a relationship like a husband and a wife or it could be you're codependent but the other person isn't but it's a sense of which i can't be me and feel myself without you and the problem is they fall short a little bit because the reality is we're all codependent i mean is anyone not a little bit codependent on something? Right? Aren't we all a little bit needy of something to complete us? I mean, Jerry Maguire. What's the greatest scene in Jerry Maguire? You complete me. Oh, it's so romantic. That's codependent. That's not good, is it? You, I am not complete without you. Truck. Boom! I mean, that's not healthy. It's like... What do you need? So, what is it you're dependent upon? What is it you're codependent upon? So, that's the problem. That's what's going on in this passage. These people had left. Paul had left, and these people had sunk into tangible things. Scripturally, just to kind of make the point even more, this idea of baptism, Paul loves baptism. We're going to have a baptism this morning. And Paul, it's a sacrament. In fact, F, just FY, the reason there's no Lord's Supper up here is our sacrament we're going to all participate in is the sacrament of baptism of Lucy, right? And we're all going to remember our baptism if we are in Christ. and That's a beautiful thing. Paul is not bashing baptism, but he is saying you have a tendency, you people, myself, all of us, to take something that's tangible, like water, or maybe the Lord's Supper and the meal, or anything that's tangible, and, and, and ascribe more to it than it was supposed to have. And so Paul felt that burden. So Paul's saying, I am so thankful that I didn't baptize more of you. Not because baptism is not beautiful, but apparently you're like the little duckling. And if I baptized you, you're going to start some sort of a group saying, I follow Paul. And so again, as we, as we think about how this gets fixed in our lives, I want to ask you, are you doing that with your spiritual life? Are you doing that? In what ways are you doing that? Are you finding things to gravitate toward? Is it our? This is where worship wars come from. I mean, if I move this podium to here and I stand here, is anybody angry? No, I really want to know. Okay, um, but we have that. You know, we have people that you know get so uptight about certain things that maybe we need to stop and go. Wait a minute. What's the intention? And how is Christ? the king in these situations? And how can that change how we have our conversations? That doesn't mean we don't discuss these issues. Worship issues. Do you baptize babies or do you not baptize babies? All the issues that make up the church today, and there's many more, are important to discuss. That's not Paul's topic. Remember Galatians. He was ready. He was up in arms when the the issue in Galatia was the, the heart of the gospel. Paul didn't say, let's all be in agreement. Judaizers, you're fine. You know, circumcision's great. He says, let them be condemned if they are preaching a different gospel. So we're not talking about what wishy-washiness here. But we are talking about, in the essentials, taking those very seriously, and everything else having charity. Having agreement. Okay, so, how does it get fixed? You now are aware, I hope, and you probably aren't yet, that you have the things you feel like you need to do in your life to feel right. Your team has to win. Uh, no, and I'm, I'm there, so I have, I'm treading on hallowed ground right now. Nobody's throwing a stone. Um, maybe it's, I mean, it can be a million different things. But whatever it is, it's what you need to feel right and, and whole. In, in a, a discipleship program I've gone through with some friends, um, there's a question that says this. If you lost everything else in your life, Everything, your dearest loved one, your children if you're married and have children or not married and have children, a pet, I mean, whatever it is, your job, your health, if you lost it but you had Christ, would that be enough? And every time I've gone through that question with people, I feel like the biggest hypocrite. Because I come to that question, I'm like, "Ah, on most days, I would fall apart. I need this. You and I need this. What is it we need? Here it is, the last point. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize you, but to preach the Gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For Paul, he is saying the corrective to this disunity, the corrective for codependency, for needing other things, is the cross. Everyone in this room, just most of you heard that. Some of you heard something else because you've already tuned me out. And, and I was trying to think, what would I have thought if I were sitting in your, in your chair hearing that? The Christian part of me would have thought, ah, the cross, brother. Good point. The fleshly part of me would have said, ah, the cross. I don't know what to do with it. What would the, but what does the spirit in you say? What does the cross mean to you in your right mind? What does the cross mean? Remember that when Paul talks about the cross, he is always drawing us back to the main point of the gospel, the key entry point to the gospel, is that in the garden, you and I, if it would have never happened, we'd have had perfect fellowship. If the fall would have never happened, we'd have had perfect fellowship with the Father. Adam and Eve were allowed to walk with God in the cool of the garden and have fellowship with Him. And your longing for something to complete you is that longing. So when you think about the stuff you need to complete you, that's the part of you that wants God desperately. But yet, because of the fall, you don't have access to Him. Right? So what do we do? We are made in the image of God, and we create thousands of other little things to complete us. Relationships. Teams. Drugs. Hobbies, good things. I mean, these are all good things. Um, Your business, your job, right? There's a million different ways you're completing yourself. Yet the cross does what? What happened when Jesus died? There was an actual moment in human history when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And as Schaeffer would say, if you were wearing a watch, though they didn't exist, it would be ticking at a real time in a real moment in human history. And when his life ended, and it did, in that moment, the veil was ripped. The veil that kept you apart from your Heavenly Father was torn open. That those of us who have Christ can now run into the arms of our Heavenly Father. That's what Paul is getting at. The cross heals you. The cross gives you what you need. If you have the cross, you would not be arguing over the little things anymore. Anytime there's disunity in factions, it's a picture of the fact that you and I are not resting in the reality of the cross. Is that your hope? Okay, I said it earlier. I'm going to come back around. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. Or I, Christ. The word or is not even there. Just I, Christ. Some theologians, and you can make your own decision later, would say Paul is saying there, this is the only thing you should use to define yourself. Now, whether or not that's exactly what's happening in that verse, jump to. you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. But at the end of chapter 3, Paul is continuing this discussion. And he says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas. He doesn't say Christ yet. Whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ's is God's. For Paul, Christ was everything. What is is our job to do? How do we connect that? Two steps. Number one, right now and today, identify the stuff you need to reassemble yourself every day. What things, what websites, what people's approval, right? Do I need to feel whole? And then go to the Lord, and this is step two, and say, Lord, take not, don't take those things away, but Lord, make you those things for me. Let you be enough. Jesus, help me to come to you for a reassembly. This same friend and I were talking and he said, I want to see people go before the Lord daily and go there for reassembly. Lord, I am sorry that I am running after these other things. Will you reassemble me? Will you fill me with your presence? Will you help me to see that in Christ all the things that I long for are mine already? Do you believe that? Is that your hope? I hope it is. Because in Christ, you not only get Christ, but you get everything else thrown in that you long for. He's not taking away Apollos or Paul or Cephas. and certainly not Christ. He's saying you can't even enjoy the things you want until you're finding your wholeness in Christ. So, is that where you're going for reassembly? That is our hope. Let's pray. Father, we are constantly turning to so many things for wholeness and completion. And I think we're afraid to turn to You sometimes because we're not sure how to do that. Father, that's a lie of Satan. All we have to do is come to You. All we have to do is rest in Your arms. Lord, we are masters at running after so many other idols. Help us to rest in You. I pray that your cross would be glorious, would be beautiful. That, Lord, even though it was tragic, it was also the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. That Satan was defeated. That our flesh was crucified with you. And that we are now new creations in you, Christ. Would you give us belief in that? And would you send your spirit into our hearts to understand better our union with you? In your name we pray. Amen.